Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. My first pick today is a scary but important piece in The Economist about how the world wasn't prepared for the coronavirus and it's not prepared for other potentially existential disasters either. To clarify, this isn't your usual hand-wringing over how experts had predicted the pandemic and governments refused to take action. This is a bigger discussion that, while prompted by the current crisis, goes in a whole new direction. Looking back at our historical and geological records, there have been events in the Earth's past which, if they happened again and on a serious scale, would constitute a plausible threat to humanity. These include, yes, pandemics, but also geomagnetic solar storms, giant volcanic eruptions, and other natural disasters. One fascinating thing about this piece is that it discusses at some length how modern technology could either help us, in the case of a coronavirus vaccine, or make us more vulnerable. And it's the vulnerabilities which we need to pay most attention to. Our electric grid could be knocked out by a geomagnetic storm pressing pause on life-saving treatments in hospitals, satellite communications, and the internet, perhaps for months. And that's before you even get to the catastrophes we may yet bring upon ourselves, such as nuclear war, climate collapse, the releasing of bioweapons, or runaway artificial intelligence. One author quoted here adds up all those risks to put humanity's chances of being faced with an existential threat in the next century at one in six. But the point here isn't to despair, it's to emphasise how important these risks are and how governments should prepare for them. There is good news. We're not prepared for these things on a global scale at the moment, but we can be. There are promising signs that early warning systems are starting to be put in place, and there are clear steps we can take to make sure we're not caught out unawares. You can find out more from this 12-minute piece in Friday's Economist. The link is in the show notes. My second recommendation today is from Jamie Ducharme in Time magazine, and it's on how many of us are suffering from coronavirus caution fatigue. In the beginning, the pandemic was all we could talk about. It engulfed pretty much every news story out there. We were forced to stay home, terrified of what the outside world could do to us. It felt like an existential threat. But now, Ducharme says, people in states across the US are going out to restaurants, gyms and casinos as though this whole thing were over. They're throwing parties and enjoying the summer weather with friends and family. This piece focuses on the US, but the same goes for other areas initially hit hard by the virus. We're still in the middle of a public health crisis and the virus is still spreading. So why are people acting like it's over? Ducharme speaks to an expert who likens our lack of motivation for social distancing as a drained battery. While at first we had the energy to jump into action, a prolonged mix of stress, anxiety, isolation and disrupted routines has left many feeling drained. And when we feel drained, we're not careful. We put ourselves and others in harm's way. But luckily, there's something we can do about it. Duchamp emphasises how important it is to maintain social distancing and offers some tips for recharging those batteries so you're strong enough to keep yourself and others safe. What follows is a combination of small switches you can make in your mindset to, in effect, recalibrate how you're thinking about the crisis. You can find them by clicking on the link to the four-minute story in Saturday's Time magazine. 
Last up today is a piece by technology researcher Alexandra Samuel in the Wall Street Journal, where she admits that she knows all the rules on cybersecurity, but breaks them anyway. I think this piece will resonate with a lot of people. It certainly does with me. You've read the articles about how to stay safe online. You might even have a fair idea of the best tools and practices out there. But so many of us still use awful passwords, accept cookies and websites we visit, and fail to use two-factor authentication when accessing accounts. But if even Samuel struggles with those same problems, there might just be hope for the rest of us. She's been writing about tech for over two decades, so why is this expert falling at the same hurdles we are? The answer to that question is actually the key to exposing the problems inherent in these rules and fixing them so that more of us can follow them in the future. Samuel goes on to track through some of the rules she breaks, systematically explaining why she breaks them and how the rule can be made easier and therefore more followable. The first example is an in-depth look at why password managers are harder to use than we might imagine. They seem like a great idea. They generate complex passwords, a different one for each site, and keep them in one easily accessible vault. But they don't run smoothly on every site. Sometimes, when choosing to update a password, it can be easy to accidentally create a new one instead, meaning we end up with duplicate passwords in the vault. Some people, like Samuel, might have multiple password managers running at the same time, which can confuse the matter when you can't remember which login you saved where. To fix this confusion and to ensure all our logins are kept in one secure place, Samuel says that browsers and operating systems should be able to recognize when a password manager is installed and know how to store all passwords there, refraining from prompting users to store passwords in their own systems. This piece works as a guide not necessarily for us, but for the people making the tech tools we use each day. It's not just our responsibility to stay safe online, but also of those who run and operate the online world which we inhabit. For more ideas on how cybersecurity can be fixed, check out the full six-minute piece in last Monday's Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining me for this week's top stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8 a.m. Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.